we want to just look today into the concept of, of navigation and just the idea of navigating these times that we live in. We certainly live in interesting times, agreed? Yeah, definitely interesting times that we have uh, this day. Um, kind of a, just an interesting thought. I don't know where you sit with things, but we are bombarded with information today, right? We are just completely overloaded with information. I don't know about you, but uh, there are so many times and on so many subjects that I don't even know if I know what to believe these days, right? If we, if we look to the media, if we, if we look to those different sources, everything has an opinion. Everything is bent by politics. Everything has an agenda. It's, it's this, this subtle shift between fact and fake uh, these days. And I, I don't know that we really are experiencing a lot of objective journalism these days, um, just where we're presented with the facts and, uh, and, and allowed to make our own decision. There are the lights again. Um, so, uh, you know, if you look in the Bible, and if you typed into Bible Gateway and you looked up, like, where have you come from? And where are you going? You'd get a number of different responses, different times where that's spoken, and it's spoken by people to one another, it's spoken by God to other people. And it's that idea of, of, of where, where do you come from? Who are you? What's your identity? And in what direction are you going? And, and those things have everything to do with the idea of navigating these times, of, of getting through these times, of finding out where we're at and where we're going. Thankfully, God hasn't just left us lost in the woods, but imagine if we were lost in the forest, if we were in this spot and, and, and we, didn't, uh, we, we didn't know where we were at and we were just surrounded by, by trees and, and uh, terrain that, that seemed much the same, uh, we would find ourselves in a very difficult position. Now, if we happen to have a compass and a map, especially a topo map, right, we could actually begin to find where we were at. We could navigate um, our, our, our position by using that compass. And see, the reason that we can use a compass is because it has a fixed direction. It has a fixed direction that it always points to. It points towards magnetic north. So one of the first things that we would need to do if we were gonna do this is that we would need to, uh, we would need to align our compass towards magnetic north. The other thing that we would need to do would then begin to uh, adjust our map and, and look at it and align it as well to that north scale, to that true north. You see, that map, though, it has to be accurate, and it has to be proportionately scaled, or it's absolutely of no use to us, right? We, we can't have a, a map that's not accurate. We can't have a compass that ever points any other direction. If we can't, if we do, we'll never be able to find our position. You see, this map also, the topo map, it will also tell us about our surroundings. It'll tell us what's out there. It'll tell us about canyons. It'll tell us about peaks. It'll tell us about features in the terrain around us that will help us then to shoot a bearing and find a direction as we go. So if we were in the woods though, and we were surrounded, the first thing that we would really need to be able to do would be able to find two points, two fixed points of reference so that we could then shoot a bearing from that true north to those places and then we could take and we could transfer that bearing onto our map and we could draw a line. And if we did that two times, we'd have these lines that converged and the place that those lines converged would be the place that we were at. And after we found where we were at, 
we could then uh, find a bearing and, and find a direction that we want to go, and this would help us to find our way out of here. So we're going to need fixed points. It's impossible to find out where you're at from a moving position. If, you're, if your points aren't fixed, if they're moving points, it'll be impossible for you to ever find out where you're at. And so with that, there, there's just this real necessity as we kind of look over this, this idea that we have to have fixed points. Now, one of those fixed points can't be me. It can't be my own thoughts. It can't be my heart. It can't be the way that I feel because those things are always shifting and changing. The reality of me is that I'm prone to error. I'm prone to falling short. Proverbs 3, 5 says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reminds us that God's thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways his ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there, there's a problem that, that I'm not a fixed point in space. My mind is, again, it, it's prone to wander. It's prone to being influenced by outside forces. And so therefore, I can't make myself one of those fixed points to navigate my way through this world. The other thing that I can't use as a fixed point is this culture. The culture around us is always shifting. It's always changing. It, it, it's a moving target that cannot be trusted to find out where truth is or where our actual position is. And then if we can't find out our actual position, we cannot chart a direction to where we want to go. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans reminds us that we aren't supposed to uh, participate in this world. We're supposed to exist and be in this world and be active in it, but to be separate from it by how we think and what our, our information is. That in other words, we have a fixed point that's not this culture, it's not the world around us, it's God and it's his word and it's what he tells us. John 15, 19 says, if you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this world, it can't be used as a fixed point because it's passing away, because it's temporal, because it's going to leave here. It's passing away. It's constantly shifting. It's constantly changing. Therefore, we can't find our position in this life by looking to the rest of the world, although we're trying. And culturally, it's what we do, right? Right now, basically, morality in our world is based on a polls. We take a lot of polls so, so that we can find out how many people believe X. And as soon as 51% of the people believe X, our moral culture now changes, and we believe that that is now okay. You see, that's not really ethics. God is more about ethics. He's more about teaching us what ought to be 
versus what is. Again, our culture has the, the ability to shift. We see all kinds of different cultures and beliefs and acceptance all over the world, but God has called us to move out of the culture of this world and into His culture and to adjust our culture to His true direction. Postmodernism is something in our world that, that has really crept in, and postmodernism has, has made the claim that there is no truth, that, that basically that, um, that your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth, and, and they're all true somehow. See, the problem with that is that that leaves us to a place of just subjective truth. It, it, it takes truth out of the equation of being a fixed point by which we can navigate our lives. And, 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 and uh, it, as, as we go through this, it, it takes truth out of the equation and it makes it subjective. And therefore, we're left simply to argue about what we believe. I think this, but you think that. You see... It doesn't even fit to the world around us. The natural world around us is governed by truth. And, and truth always prevails. In other words, there's a necessity for belief to always bow to truth. Truth never bows to belief. As a matter of fact, if we all went up on the roof up here of the church and we decided that we were gonna jump off of the roof of the church and some of us believed in gravity and some of us didn't believe in gravity, <laughs> It would have no change on the effect of the truth of gravity the minute every one of us stepped off of that roof. You see, truth has a necessity to be exclusive. It always has been, and it just must be. So we're left in the middle of this thing trying to find truth, trying to find these fixed points that we might navigate from. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, we, we can't be swayed uh, in our belief. We can't always go the way that the, the culture or the world around us is going. As a matter of fact, Christianity is the most countercultural movement to ever really come across the face of the world. It's completely changed the world. As a matter of fact, it's in complete and total opposition of who I am, and it's in complete and total opposition to the world that I exist in. It calls me to change. It calls me to develop new characteristics. It calls me to a deep love and a humility. And it called all of these Christians into humility at a time when humility was not a virtue. Humility was made a virtue by Christianity. The Greeks and the Romans saw no virtue whatsoever in humility. They viewed it as absolute weakness. But God has, has, has told us that we really need to, in humility, recognize the reality of who we are. See, until I choose humility, I'll never reckon with the idea that uh, I have a need for a savior. As long as pride and, and self-sufficiency and, and the idea that I can do this exist in my mind, I'll have no need for a savior. You see, there's a necessity for humility in this. John 14, 6 tells us that, that Jesus is that needle that always points to true north, 
that it never wavers, it never changes. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That he is the one always pointing us to the Father. He is the one always showing us the direction to eternal life, to, to, to reconciliation in our relationship to God, back to himself, so that we can know who we are, so that we can then begin to plot a course for even where we're going. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, this is the offense of Christianity. Christianity says that there's truth, and that's an offense. It says that not only is there truth, but that truth is exclusive, and it's exclusively through Jesus, that the way to reconciliation, the way to eternal life, the way to heaven is found only, only in Jesus, only in having him be that compass, in, in, only in having him be that way, that, that, that direction that takes our lives towards the Father and towards eternity. He always points the right way. John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, after we've, after we've kind of shot some bearings and we uh, drew some lines and we've transferred those lines, we find out where we're at on that map. See, the next thing that we would have to do would be to begin to plot a course, right? We have to, we have to plot a course through this life. We have to begin to understand that if we're here, that we, we have a direction that we're going and we're trying to get home right? And the way to get home, if you haven't understood that at this point, is Jesus. See, Jesus came to, to pay the penalty for sin, and he came to replace himself, his, give his life for our life, to pay the penalty of sin that you and I could never pay. The idea that, that we can never work ourselves into relationship to God. We can never, ever be good enough to have his favor, but we can certainly have his favor as a gift because it's freely offered. Because Jesus gave everything for us. And when he set himself up as a navigational point, he did it in real history. You see, he didn't do it in some nebulous way where, where we would just be trying to figure out when the age of whatever was coming or in mythology or any of those places. He set that point in history. And there's a day in history where, where Jesus, like Pastor Mike uh, preached last week, that, that he's verified, that it's shown that there's proofs, that there's historic detail, that he was documented by historians outside of the Bible, Josephus, a Jewish historian, Tychidus, a Roman historian, both basically uh, made note of the life of Jesus. Pontius Pilate was a real dude. Herod was a real guy. These are real historical figures at a real time. And the reason that Jesus entered into time, space, and history was to set himself up as a navigational point by which we could understand who we are, where we're going, and why we're going. It's the truth. It's this truth. It's understanding this. It's, the re it's receiving Jesus and his work on the cross as a gift to yourself that sets you into the freedom. This is the gospel. And this is where it's at. And this is where we find out, we make that first bearing of here is where we are. See, but before we go, and, and when we find out, when we, when we go to discern and we want to try to find out, and we have to pick those other spots, those two uh, points by which we can begin to 
shoot a bearing and then and, and, and understand those as fixed points. Psalm 61, 2 says, from the end of the earth I call you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Habakkuk 3.19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You see, there's a, there's a need to go to a high place in order to understand and to be able to see even. You see, if you're down in the trees, you can't guess about where those fixed points are. You have to go up. We have to go up. And I'm not saying that we got to go up to, to be approved by God, but we have to leave the patterns and the ideas and the systems of this world behind. We have, to, we have to go to the high ground so that we can see those fixed points so that we can then plot our course. More interesting stuff. If we, if we have got a course, and let's say now we're a ship and we're, we're kind of thinking about being a ship on the sea, the reality of it is, is that we would first, if we were going to leave, we'd plot a course. And, and by that course, we would try to understand the speed which we were going. The, we would try to understand the direction we were going, the way the wind was blowing, and some, some the tides and some different things like that. And we would try to make a calculation that would say, here's where we're going to be in an hour, let's say. Well, after an hour went by, what we would need to do then was to be, would be to find out where we really were. <laughs> because we wouldn't necessarily, we don't always know what life has for us. We don't know exactly what directions life has for us. And so we would then have to take an off of fixed points again, whether it be the stars or the sun with a sexton, as you see this one guy doing, or if we could have visible points offshore, depending on where we were at with our boat, we could then again fit, find our actual point and then from there, we could use math to find out exactly how much the current had taken us, exactly how much the wind had blown us off course. You see, because as we set out on this journey and we have this fixed course that we're going on, there are times where the, where the tide comes in and it gets us drifting and we, we kind of get off course. We get caught up in the things of the world we, because we're prone to error and to these different things. We, we get blown off course just a little bit. And so it's important that as we navigate this life, we continue to go back to God's word, to go back to find these fixed points so that we can find our actual location so that then we can plot a new course so that we actually end up where we want to be. Because if we don't do that, if we never revisit that idea, if we never come back and we ask God and we find out from God and from his word and through prayer and through these different fixed points that he's given us, like where we're at, we might think we're somewhere that we're not at times. And, and maybe the, the culture and the things, the, the current and the tide of culture has come and kind of swept us and blown us off course. It's important that we get redirected. It's, it's important that we find out our actual position so that we can plot even a new course. God's Word is our map. This is the thing that, that tells us where we're at, and, and it helps us. And there's not a problem in your life that you're not going to find the answers to here. And, and it teaches us how to, how to figure out where we're really at and where we're going. And we've got to get to the high ground so that we can see these things. Uh, we've got to know who we are and where we're going. Psalm 32.8 just some encouragement that God wants to lead us. He, he wants to help us. He wants to be those fixed points. He wants to navigate us through this world. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
You know, sometimes we, we want God's word to, to just tell us the whole destination. We wanna, we wanna plot this course once we're a believer and we wanna just say, okay, God, I'm going that way and that's where I'm at. And we, will, we don't ever wanna have to think about taking any new points of navigation. We don't wanna ever draw any new things to find out where we're really at. We just like, God, just show me the whole thing. But right here it says it, it's a lamp. Lamps don't give a lot of light. And it's a light to my path. It gives us enough. God is in his word and God in his leading is always gonna give us enough that we can take a step. But he's not gonna just unveil the whole picture to us. He's, he, he's not gonna show us the whole thing. He's just gonna say, be faithful to take a step. And then, and then the lamp and the light that I have for you will give you enough illumination to take another step. I want you to learn to follow. I want, I want you to learn to teach. I wanna teach you. I want you to keep taking track and keep taking note of where you're actually at and making adjustments off of my word and off of who I am. Psalm 25, nine and 10. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Psalm 23, 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. What an amazing thing that this God that created the universe knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head right now. He knows exactly where you're at, even if you don't. And his love for you is, is without, yeah, it was without condition and it's uncontested and it's for you. And, and all he wants for us to do is to call out on him to quit navigating off of these moving points of the culture and the world and who we think and what we think and begin to believe him and his word for what he says. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then 2 Timothy 2, 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And I wanna encourage us in that, that, that he's telling Timothy that there's a, there's a responsibility that we have to know this. You see, if you're gonna travel in the wilderness and you don't wanna get lost, you have a responsibility to understand how to work this map, how to work this compass, and to use those things in unison to be able to find out where you're at and where you're going. This is our map and Jesus is our compass. And so there's a real necessity that, that we would understand that, that we wouldn't just be a people who are just listening to what everybody else has to say about God's word. I hope that you don't just tune in on Sunday and you're not just getting with God yourself. You've got to get with God yourself and let him teach you what he wants to teach you. His spirit is available and, and it's our guide. It's our, it's our teacher. It's our counselor. He, he's the one who wants to put a new step in our game, if you will. He's the one who wants to direct us to get us out of the weeds and out of the woods and to set us on a course of freedom. I, I wanna tell you that I have some real concern 
And, and the concern that I see, and I don't know what, what you're seeing, but, but the concern that I have is division. And it's, it's not just the division of the world. There, there's, there's, there's a deep divide in the world, and we know this. There's a deep divide in thought and, and belief and ideas, and, and there's, there's deep political divisions, and there's deep uh, division on, on belief and what's true and what's not and religion and these different things. And, and, and to be honest with you, uh, to, a, to a large degree, that's, that's just the world. Jesus made us a promise. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've, I've overcome the world. He's saying, I've given you a new path through it. I've given you new direction. I've given you a new way of navigating that. And I just want to remind us as Christians that, that God has called us to base our lives on the fixed points of who he is. To, and, and that unity within the body is an incredibly important thing. It's deep in the heart of Jesus. As a matter of fact, his, his final prayer before leaving this, this earth was, was one for unity for the church. Now, now we understand that within churches, there's, there's differences too, and that's fine. There's differences in worship styles, and there's even different thought within Christianity, and, and, and there's different denominations. And those things are fine, and they're good, but when those things begin to build dividing walls between God's church, when they begin to cripple the effectiveness of the church and its movement on, the, on this globe, when it begins to isolate us instead of expand his kingdom, see, then we've got a real problem. And so I just want to encourage us all to, to prioritize unity within the church, to, to put aside in humility what we think sometimes. I, I certainly have my own opinions, but I want to tell you that within the church, there is going to be a, a variety of opinion and thought on these things. And as we, as we live under the tension of all of this stuff and COVID-19, and it, it, it really just begins to... to make everything just that much more pronounced and that much louder in our lives and stuff. And so there's just a real call for us to be patient with one another, to, to be considerate of one another, to be considerate of thought beyond our own thought so that we don't bring division within the church. Because I'm convinced that God is doing an amazing work at this time, that the outreach of the church right now during this time has been far greater than what we were reaching for people on a given Sunday before we started live streaming. Last week, the live stream reached 900 and some people. It's amazing. God has, has quadrupled our influence through this. But the, the, but the enemy always wants to bring division. He, he wants to bring moving places to, to, uh, that we start to begin to draw our position from. Things like politics, things like the culture, things about like what I believe. And I just want to encourage as Christians, we are called to put those things aside and to settle into the truth and the, and the, uh, the reliability of God's points. Colossians 3.14, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, God has called his church to agape love one another, to, to love one another without condition, not because we're in agreement with each other, not because we even always like each other and we're going to all invite every, you know, there, there's different people. The church is this amazing thing that brings in incredible amounts of diversity and thought 
and combines it into this one place where we unify under the compass of Jesus. And we find our direction, our direction to reach the world with the gospel. Because I'm just going to tell you, if we allow ourselves to just argue about ideologies, about this world and the politics and COVID-19, and we are not bringing the gospel, then no change is going to happen in the world around us because it's the gospel that brings change. It's the gospel that unites us with God. It's the gospel that changes our hearts, that moves this world from being something different into something different. It's only the gospel that will do this. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13.11, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 4.19 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the, thus in the Lord, my beloved. And, and that, that word, that Greek word for stand there is that one that we saw a little while back as well that, that talked about a soldier and it talks about standing firm. And when it's talking about putting on the armor of God and it tells us then stand and keep standing. And this one here, it says stand. And it means to stand in the middle of the storm, to stand in the middle of the battle. And it has just all of the enemy comes and it's just all around. And it's just that you stand and that we stand on something that we can stand on. We stand on our faith and our trust and our belief and the faithfulness of Jesus. I entreat you, Aeodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What, a, what an amazing picture that, of the reality that there is difficulties in the church. Sometimes we don't get along. But Paul is saying in that word that is translated there, true companion is kind of a mystery. And I think it just means like, hey, you, you make sure there's unity in the church. You, you, you promote unity. And, and it's just his appeal is that, man, I've worked hard with these ladies. These ladies have been such a blessing and they have worked hard for the gospel and we have went at this thing side by side by side and it breaks Paul's heart to see the disunity in the church. And so he's saying, hey, to, to everybody out there, encourage them, help them, help them to, to find peace with one another. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That Greek word that's translated as reasonableness there is a very difficult word to, to translate. And it means um, there's just inhumility of regardless of what's going on. It means that, that, that basically regardless of your opinions or your thought or your belief, be reasonable to one another. Be long-suffering. Be patient. Be kind. Be loving to one another one. And let it be known to the whole world because remember, Jesus said the thing that's gonna set his church apart is, is the love that his people have for one another, that they love each other so much that they recognize the need to go to higher ground, 
to put off frivolous things in order for the bigger picture, to not get caught up and consumed with things that should be ancillary, things that should just be sidelines, and to be focused on the mission of what he's called us to. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, we're not called to to focus on the negatives or the wrongs, or evaluate each other on those kinds of terms. But if we do, that'll take you into a dark hole. We've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. The reality of this thing is as believers, we're supposed to be focused on what's good, that God is good, that the gospel is good, that God is still working good in the middle of a difficult situation. Ephesians 4 Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Why do we need to bear with one another? Because we offend one another, because we are an offense to one another, because we all fall short, because we have a sinful nature. Trust me, if I haven't let you down yet, just give it some time. <laughs> Promise. It's going to happen bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host, a, cap, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Do you know when most conquerors ascended on high, they received gifts? That is the picture. The picture is that everybody then had to bring tribute to that conqueror. But this is a conqueror who conquered, ascended on high, and then gave gifts because this God is giving He ascended. What does it mean? But that he'd also descended into the lower regions. He came to the earth. He came. He never expected that we would reach him, that, that we had to satisfy his needs. He came and he met us where we were and then called us to a higher place. Took us with him, just like uh, Pastor Mike's video last week. We were stuck in a hole, man, and he came down in the hole and pulled us out. He who's descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it will build itself up in love. This is the call for the church. 
and the call for the church and for us to accomplish our mission, we've got to know where we are. And maybe, maybe you were lost. Maybe you didn't know where you were. I want to tell you that Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he is the life. He is the, the, that no one comes to the Father but through him. He is the one who leads us out of the forest and into the freedom, into the light and into the goodness that he has for each and every one of us. And, and we, we, we have that simply by just receiving, by, by recognizing that we were in a direction, we had set a course that was the wrong way, that I have a need outside of myself. As a matter of fact, um, I am the common denominator in all my trouble. And so God has called me to make a course correction, to recognize the reality of, of where we're at, and, and to then turn and recognize that we were going the wrong way, and to set a new course. And this is, this is the, the life of the believer, and it begins at salvation. It doesn't end. Salvation isn't the destination. Salvation is the place where we just get our bearings. It's the place where we recognize and we realize where those lines converge, and we realize who we are and what we were created for that we were created for a relationship from God, with God, and, and, and that we were never intended to walk separately from him. And so we repent and we begin to walk towards the light. And then he says that he'll help us, that he'll come beside us, that he'll help us to, to set a course and, and that, he, that we have a course and, and we have a direction and we have a destination and, and it is without doubt. There is nothing that can change it. Our destination is heaven. Our world is not this world. Our home is not this place. We are, have a destiny that's in heaven. But in the middle of this, there's kind of some stormy stuff that's going on, right? And there, there's some difficulties that come our way, that life isn't always easy, but that God says that I want you to keep taking, keep, keep taking some, some points of reference, keep looking for fixed positions and find out where you're at. And if you need to make an, a, a change in your, in your direction, then that's what you need to do. You need to maybe set a new course or recognize that you've drifted too far, that you've, been, uh, you've allowed yourself to maybe be influenced too much by the, by the culture and by the tide of the culture. And when we do that, when we, when we allow him to, to set that direction and we let the Holy Spirit just fill the winds of our sails, right, then in the middle of this broken and messed up world, we begin to find deep purpose. We find a reason for some of the struggles that are going, and we see the opportunity in the midst of it that we have been called with a high calling to follow Jesus in, his, in what he wants to accomplish. He has set his church as his hands and his feet. The movement in the world around us happens because the church knows its identity. It knows where it's at. It's set a course and a destination. And that destination is a global destination, right? Jesus told us the last thing before he left, go, go to all the world. And, and, and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May we be that church. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for, for, uh, for salvation. We thank you that you gave yourself on the cross that we might have life. We thank you, God, that, that you've set these fixed points, that we can navigate this world, that we can know that despite what we're seeing, despite the struggle that's going on around us, that we have a hope, a hope that can't be changed. We have a course that is sure, and it directs us out of this world and ultimately promises to deliver us into eternity with you. But while we're here, 
It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. It helps us to stay oriented to the task. It keeps us oriented to the mission and why you've called us and who you've called us to be. So Lord, we pray that you help us, Lord. Help us to be your church. And we just pray that for anyone out there who's, who's never said yes to you, Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would, they would do a course correction. They would say yes to you. They would turn and repent, that they would admit the reality and humility that they're sinful, that they have a need for a savior, and that, they, that that's outside of themselves, that they would receive your death on the cross as payment for their sins, and, and Lord, that they would turn and follow you with the whole of their being. And Lord, for the believers in the church out there, Lord, I pray just against division. I pray against um, not knowing who we are or where we're going. Lord, I pray that you help us in these times to, to not be influenced by the tide of culture. Help us, Lord, to, to rest in your truth, to know that, that truth is exclusive, that it's always the same, and it always points in the same direction, and that, Jesus, you are our truth, and that all of our politics and all of our thoughts and all of our beliefs, Lord, really have to bow to that truth. And Lord, we pray for unity. We pray we'd be patient with one another, Lord, that we would be long-suffering with each other, that we would love in a way that demonstrates to the world that something's going on in that church, that they know something that maybe we don't know, and that it would be their deepest desire to be a part of what's happening in the church. So Lord, we know that it's your work. You're the one who's good. You're the one who's faithful. And we look to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.